How about if I just start at the beginning? <laughs> you can you can be honest. Because <laughs> you know what? They have the sweat equity that went into that memory that they're making with their friends and family. And that's what's important with us, and that's what the I Am Real World's about. Well, that's a great question. You know, one of the best things about a spring food plot is you get a second chance if it fails. Chasing Giants with Don Higgins. Brought to you by buyafarm.com, your source for farm, recreational properties, rural homes, and more. By tapping into Don's years of experience, dedication, and commitment, Chasing Giants focuses on the techniques, strategies, and dedication needed to harvest one of God's most amazing creations, world-class whitetails. Now, here is Don and co-host Terry Peer. Well, welcome everyone to Chasing Giants, episode 19. This is Terry Peer and Don Higgins coming at you on, what is today's date, Don? Is it the 14th? I think it's the 15th. April That's 15th. 14th. Today's the 14th, isn't is it? it? I don't know. We're going to get confused over what day it is. We're a little bit behind uh, because we were going to uh, do this episode at your uh, second master class. But you ended up having yep. to cancel that, so we're we're probably almost a week behind on episode nineteen getting it out there. But um, we appreciate everybody's um, patience with it. But also the following, um, the downloads are just absolutely exploding. It, it wouldn't surprise me if this is one of the hottest uh, hunting podcasts on the uh, on the airwaves right now. So we appreciate everybody's support on that. Yeah, for sure. It's. Uh... I just hear more and more about it as I as I talk to people. Uh, nothing but compliments. I think people really like the fact that uh, we take their questions and answer them in detail. Um, a little bit different than than the format other podcasts use, and seems to be a hit. Yeah, and the questions keep rolling in. Um, I don't I don't necessarily look at what questions you choose for each specific uh, episode. But when somebody hits submit, I do get copied of the on the uh, emails, and uh, I read through them uh, when they come in. And there, there's a lot of really good questions. A lot of them are the same, um, you know, kind of along the same topics. But uh, it's fun to get to, to get to review those questions when they're relative to you know kind of what's going on and and what we've been up to here in the month of April. Um, I know, I know with the lockdown going on, uh, you've had a lot of projects. I haven't had as many because two of the farms that I hunt quite a bit are in Illinois, so I can't come up and actually work up there. Um, but I know you've been working on your home farm here and I've been working on my home farm here quite a bit. Yeah, I've done more habitat work on my home farm this spring than, uh, probably any two previous springs and, and I'm not done yet, but, uh. You know, my goal is to make this property twice as good as it is now, and uh, got a long list of projects over the next two years. It's probably going to take to get them all done, but I got a big jump on that list. And uh, you know, I've I've planted trees, planted some chestnuts and pear trees. Uh, I've spent more time with a chainsaw in my hand this past month than probably any year in my entire life. Um, I've used a chainsaw so much that my trigger finger is actually numb. Well, that's all right. You don't gun numb. hunt. Yeah, so I don't need it. <laughs> but uh, the, it's just from that vibration, that chainsaw. Um, I, I'd hate to guess how many tanks of fuel and, and 
times I've changed the chain, put a sharp chain on, but uh, um, the bedding areas on my farm are, are really going to be enhanced for this fall. Um, I've already got my plots all sprayed. Only got one planted so far, but uh, hopefully within the next two weeks or so, I'll have them all planted. Um, even been today, I even went out and scouted a piece of public ground. Um, we talked about a little bit. One of my goals is to shoot a buck over 170 on public land. And, you know, the toughest part of that's finding a buck over 170 on public land. Right. Um, I, I think I found at least one, uh, possibly a second one. Uh, one of them would have made 170 this year, but uh, I've seen a set of sheds that a, a friend of mine found that uh, that buck would probably, I, I'm guessing he'll probably push 170 next year. Very I cool. got a lot of points and such, so uh, potentials there. So I was out today marking uh, potential um, stand locations on my Onyx uh, app on my phone. Right. There's also uh, some trail camera locations, so I can go in this summer and hopefully uh, find a, a good one when they're in velvet and then uh, slip in there early in the season, maybe before the properties get pressured too much and have a shot at a good one. But well, been this staying busy. This storyline of following you in the attempt and, and whether or not you actually find the target buck when it comes hunting season and you're going after and you have enough intel to do it, that's a different thing. But that's only one of the very specific storylines we have planned coming at all, all of our listeners here in 2020. But I want to circle back on a comment you made just a second ago and, and as we talk more specifics about your property, um, how many acres is your home farm there? It's 120. All right. So our two farms, your home farm and my family farm, are about the same size. Uh, they lay out completely different, uh, different parts of the country. Mine's in Kentucky. Yours is in Illinois. Um, the biggest noticeable difference between the two farms is I only have access from one direction. And uh, the way yours is uh, laid out with the agreements that you have from your neighbors, you can kind of access all, most all perimeter uh, um, for your property. But when somebody makes a comment to me, and I think if our listeners are honest with themselves, and somebody says, I plan to make my property, I believe you just said, twice as good as it is now over the next two years. Most people are going to relate that to actually acquiring or buying more acres, and that is nothing to do with what your project is. Is that correct? Right. Yeah, I'm not expanding the acreage whatsoever. It's just uh, enhancing the the habitat that's there, and I'm going to get into managing the deer herd just a little bit different than I have in the past uh, as well. Okay. So. So we'll, you we'll said talk about that in future episodes. Yeah, you but, said uh, you said the the chestnuts now for those people who follow your social media, and I think it's it's been it's been a little bit since we had episode eighteen, and we talked about uh, that one area of your sanctuary, your bedding area, um, that you went in and basically cut every tree down so that the canopy was gone and that undergrowth comes up. Uh, we both have uh, areas of our farm that we've done that to. Um, Outside of those two, are you um, are you doing anything different with um, the size of food plots? Or I think I think since you're getting out of the cattle business, you had other plans for some, where some alfalfa was. Was that right? Yeah, I had a, a piece of uh, the farm that I was cutting and baling the hay on for my cows, which 
I'm just about out of the cattle business, and I will be by the time hunting season rolls around. But uh, that's going to become food plot. It's going to be planted in, in the to, to food plot crops. Uh, there was uh, a couple of patches. You know, my farm was kind of the the first place we ever tested the bedding grasses years and years ago uh, for real world. And so I've got plenty of those test patches that uh, have, you know, survived all these years, but they just, the grasses are just not the, the quality of what right. we're selling today. Right. Our bedding in a bag and our switchgrass. So uh, we've seen it in the master whitetail master course on the tour. Some of those grass plots are just laid down flat in the winter and worthless. Well, I've already replanted one of those um, last week, and um, I'm getting ready to replant another uh, plot, and as well as plant some miscanthus around the edges and such, and right. and put some miscanthus structure within the heart of the of the switchgrass. So, uh, you know, the bedding cover on my property is going to be really enhanced over the next couple of years, um, and the food plots are going to be diversified, and there's going to be um, more acreage in food than there's ever been. And the way I manage the deer that live here is going to change uh, a little bit too. So, uh, we're, we're going to save that one, not get into the details. Um, right. Probably talk about it when we talk about, we do the episode on culling bucks. Right. So we're going to talk about culling bucks here in one of these upcoming episodes. And I'll probably talk about how I'm going to manage my, the deer on my property just a little different than I have in the past. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, that's, that's part of the other thing that we, we shoot back and forth. I know I pick your brain a lot on ideas in my farm because, you know, it's just so much different. You know, I, I deal with a whole lot more topography, um, and, uh, and a lot more woods than you have, uh, on your property. Um, but I kind of have a little bit different thing going on. Um, I have a two year plan for mine because the way I'm farming the property with alfalfa will not change this year, but next year it's going to change because of rotation of the alfalfa. So I'm kind of doing plans to prep, but still hunt this year. But everything I'm doing is kind of for a long-term goal in mm-hmm. where I'm going to move and expand a soybean field with diversity around it and miscanthus around it. But I can't plant the big miscanthus wall this year because I need to be able to till that, you know, in phase two. So, um, you know, right now I had, um, uh, we did a, a little bit of a tree program. Um, we, we got some big oak out of the back, um, that I had to get out before that project. I had to get out before I planted food plots. So we went in with some uh, logging equipment, I believe three weekends ago, and pulled up about, uh, I'm guessing about 15, 15 or 16 uh, 2,200 pound uh, oak logs um, that I'm going to take to the sawmill and uh, and have a couple projects for that. And then um, while I had all of that equipment there, you would be so proud. I made a wall of brush and tops with those trees that would make Donald Trump proud on our southern border. (laughs) That where I'm going to put my elevated blinds and tree stands over, there is absolutely no way that a deer can get on, come in on the downwind side of me. 
So I know one of the things that I've really struggled with on this property over the years since I only have one way to access the 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 food plots in the field from the road frontage is coming back out and not getting busted. This is mm-hmm. all part of that game plan to be able to move that food plot, my hunting locations to an area that I have access to in and out uh, without getting winded and uh, putting this wall of treetops up. It took a long time, but um, but it's a doozy. There's if if animals try to get through that thing, they're they're going through an absolute jungle. So uh, so hopefully. Hopefully it'll still, uh, um, I'll have enough food and bedding cover that I can still get, um, you know, a target buck that we know is going to be there this year, but ultimately phase two of this project for, uh, the summer of 2021 will, uh, will be set up in the right direction. Awesome. Sounds like you're on the right track. You know, incidentally, I, I had a situation where I had a, uh, a blind, um, where the deer wanted to slip around occasionally. It was only about maybe 10% of the time, but they would slip out around the backside of that blind and uh, be downwind. And I didn't have the trees at that location to build the wall that you're talking about, so I had to build a fence. So mm-hmm. last week, a uh, couple of days, I spent building a short stretch. It's probably only 100 yards long, but it's going to keep those deer from, from coming out behind the blind and getting downwind. Right. Uh, funnel them around in front, but and that's you exactly had a bad windstorm down there too, didn't you, Terry? Did that affect your bedding at your cover? Or well, trees we had we had tornadoes. We had one go through uh, about seven miles north of me, and one go through about a mile and a half um, south of my house. Um, our farm is a few miles away, um, but it was very close to our farm. Um, we have an old. Uh, tobacco barn on the property and it took a couple pieces of metal roof off of it but nothing to speak for now I have not been back in the timber since the tornadoes went through so it would not surprise me if I have a couple big trees down especially with some of the dead ash that we have standing but um, I'm not worried about that too much um, I'm not going to be back. I'm not going back in there uh, the rest of the year. So even if uh, mm-hmm. even if it's down, I'll worry about that next January and February. But I I did scoot over there Sunday Easter Sunday on the Quiet Cat. Um, it was you know now that I have this bike, I'll be honest with you. I I don't know. There's just different situations where I use it that I would have never thought I could, I would use it. So. In this case, it was too muddy to drive the truck back, the farm, and it's literally seven, 800 yards back from where I can park. So I had a very short window of time and uh, didn't didn't want to hook up the trailer and take the side-by-side over there. Literally just threw that, threw that uh, quiet cat up in the back of the truck, drove over there, set it back down, and I made the lap around that whole uh, ridge top in just a couple minutes to make sure that my elevated blinds didn't get tore up and that I didn't have any big trees. Um, I actually do have my food plots plowed here in Kentucky. We still plow because of the high, the amount of clay in the soil. So I plowed two weeks ago and I only had one small tree, um, a little dead ash that's maybe 10 inches in diameter that had fallen out in the food plot. Um, so it's not even worth for firewood. So I'll probably just drag it back into the fence or the tree line. But, um, mm-hmm. 
But as far as going back into my timber and back into my sanctuary, those projects are completely done for the year. I, I'm not going back in there. So um, even even if I do, our turkey season does open up, and everybody knows I complain about turkey, but I do usually let a few people come in and turkey hunt on me, um, and I'll go with them, but we'll hunt up on top of the ridge. Um, we're still not going back down into my sanctuary. Um, so. Mm-hmm. So outside of that, we were lucky with the tornadoes, but yeah, I'm I'm pretty much done, uh, except for I need to spread some fertilizer and lime in the bean field, and uh, then disc it up, and and uh, I'm really debating whether I'm going to drill my beans this year or continue to broadcast them. Um, I do have access to a planter this year. Um, our buddy Brandon Epperson bought a bought a Genesis, so he's offered to come over and do it, but I'm I'm just I don't know. I've I've had such good luck broadcasting them. I don't want to change. So why yeah. ruin something that's worked? You know. If it works, don't change it. So. But yeah, a lot going on. I think I think between the two of us, we're on our home farms at least. I know you got some projects in Ohio on your property that you haven't been able to go because of weather and um, the virus. I got property in Illinois that I haven't been able to get to. So at least our in-state home properties were probably better set prepared for 2020 than we have for any hunting season in a while. Well, I, I definitely am. And, you know, I've got uh, three or four stands that I've moved just a short distance. Most of the time, 20 yards or less, but it was a move that needed to be made for wind as much as anything. Yep. Um, just to help me get that little slight edge, um, uh, with the wind on, on different bucks. So, uh, I'm sad. I'm I'm excited to see some bucks in velvet. And these and the your fence and and my wall of treetops. I mean, it sounds like it's a, um, a small thing, but both of them are are pretty large projects. But the payout on that it's it's not that we're keeping deer from being in that area. What we don't want the deer to do is skirt right around the back side of us somewhere where they can catch our wind and blow a hunt. Um, that's that's the ultimate goal that we're trying to make with, with these two big modifications we've done. Yeah, there's no better way to uh, direct deer traffic than by dropping a tree or two. Um, you, you can push them right up a lot closer to your stand where you want them to be. And, um, works like a charm. Well, I want to tell you what, some of this logging equipment with these loaders and grapples, you can you can do some damage and build a wall of trees if 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 you got that equipment. So while I had that stuff on property, uh, <laughs> we got we got a lot done. So, well, I um, used my skid loader myself. Yeah, but uh, yeah. after I cut that that one area, then I I went in and uh, used my skid loader just to push the down trees to the side to create a path right where I wanted it past some of my stands that were on the edge. Right. Funneled them to within bow range of where you want them to be. Yep. You create the path and they will follow it. Yep. So ironically, the only hole in the wall of trees that I built is about 28 yards from the elevated box blind to where they can come out into that food plot. So just where you want them just where i want them even even i can usually hit that kind of shot i'm not a very good shot so well but let's transition into i assume you got a buyfarm.com property of the week for us so why don't we transition into that okay 
Farm.com is your source for farm, recreational properties, rural homes, and more. Now, here is Don Higgins with this week's featured property. This week's biofarm.com featured property is 52 acres in Jackson County, Illinois, near the town of Ava. Um, this property is bordered by the Shawnee National Forest, which is uh, fantastic for a deer hunter because you got access uh, through your on the backside of your property right into the Shawnee National Forest. And we all know there's been a lot of giant bucks killed down there. Uh, it's also this this property is within walking distance of Kincaid Lake, and there's a a nice creek on the property that flows right into Kincaid Lake. So uh, you, know, you can put a canoe or kayak on your on your property and and paddle right down to the lake, and, and great for fishing or or whatever. Um, it's a very scenic property. A lot of uh, big rock outcrops and boulders and such. Uh, also along this creek uh, is the same, a lot of big boulders and such, uh, just a real scenic property. Um, there's no, there currently is no uh, building structures on the property, but there's uh, some ATV, ATV trails, uh, a rock road, uh, there's a camping spot which would be good for an RV or a trailer. Um, nice hardwood timber on the property, if some of it's marketable, if you wanted to harvest them. Uh, the property is enrolled in a tree program, which really drops the property taxes. Uh, the property taxes on this uh, 52 acres is only $60 a year. Oh, wow. If you can believe that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just barely a dollar an acre uh, per year. But uh, besides uh, the deer and turkey hunting, it's also a great mushroom property. Um, and if you did want to build a cabin or something, there's building sites, uh, some small food plot areas. Um, it's about the, the closest privately owned track uh, to Kincaid Lake that touches the Shawnee National Forest. So, you know, whether your interest is hunting, camping, trail riding, fishing, or all of the above, um, this is a property that's priced to sell, cheap taxes. It, it, it's going to make a nice recreation piece for someone or even a, a property to build a home on. So, uh, if you're interested in this one, the agent that you want to talk to is Joe Corso, and uh, Joe's phone number is 618-663-1334. Well, I can tell you, even living in Kentucky, um, the stories of the giants killed out of the Shawnee National Forest, um, we, we hear about that here. I mean, there's been some absolute whoppers killed there. Um, great, great area. Yeah, that might be one of the, the best things about this property is that uh, you control the, or the owner of this property would control the private or the access across that private ground onto the Shawnee. Right. Um, I'm not 100% sure exactly how it lays out, but, you know, anyone else to get to that spot might have to walk miles through uh, heavily timbered and, and steep ridges to get back there, where if you own this property, all you got to do is walk across the line and you've got access to tens of thousands of acres. Right. Absolutely. It's going to hunt a whole lot bigger than 52 acres. I can assure you that. Right. And, uh, that Kincaid Lake is just a recreational paradise. So, uh, you can jump in your Creek and paddle right down to the lake, paddle back home at the end of the day. Yeah. 
So I assume this property is on biofarm.com's website. Is that correct? Yep, it is on biofarm. It's uh, uh, just go to look for Jackson County, 52 acres. There's actually a video okay. uh, highlighting the property as well as some photos. But uh, if you're interested, you can call Joe Corso at uh, 618-663-1334. Perfect. Yeah, sixty dollars a year in taxes. You're not going to beat that, and uh, well, pre- the- pretty much set up uh, at fifty-two acres. The price point's probably going to be down uh, um, a little bit lower than big tracts of land. But this thing, it seems like it has everything for somebody to set up for however they want to enjoy the outdoors. Right, and it's priced to sell, so right. <clears throat> somebody's going to get a bargain there. Good deal. I think I could afford the sixty-dollar a year tax mm-hmm. base. <laughs> Uh, yeah I, I if you buy it terry i'll pay the taxes if oh is that right uh it sounds like yeah. a deal <laughs> sounds like a deal a deal for me <laughs> all right sounds good make sure you uh check out our partner biofarm.com um they do they have all kinds of different properties auctions different things going on so we really appreciate biofarm.com and the support that they give our podcast. So please, uh, please visit their website. And uh, if there's not what you want or what you're looking for on the website, reach out to one of those agents because most likely they have a lead or can find you something that you're looking for. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, this is the uh, time in the program where we open it up to questions. So um, I think this is, we tend to get on uh, some tangents here. So let's make sure we leave <laughs> some time for to get uh, the questions answered today, and then we'll circle back with what some upcoming plans are on our properties over the next week or two until uh, episode 20 comes out. Sounds good. The first submitted question is from Tyson Schulte from uh, Haven, Kansas. Uh, Jayhawks. There you go. Um, Hey, Don, and hey, Terry. So imagine yourself in a perfect world with a property with the utmost potential. However, it is in the setting as what Don would call a blank canvas, just ready for someone to turn into a big buck sanctuary. You can plant real world switchgrass for bedding or do some clearing of timber to create a bedding area in the timber around treetops and whatnot. But the only thing you're really missing is food. You know what you want to plant already in the food plot. For example, real world Gen 2 soybeans or deadly dozen. But where you find yourself scratching your head is where to put it. You're going to have to clear an area for this spot and disrupt naturally created habitat to make this food plot. So with that in mind, there's no replacing the trees that had years to grow there once you take them out. What's your thought process and how do you decide the strategic location of where to put food plots in areas that require clearing? This is a fun question. Well, Tyson, I can relate to that question because uh, when I started working on my property years ago, I cleared plots. Uh, the first plot I cleared, actually, I ended up going back and replanting it into trees because it was in the wrong spot. So, But I've learned a lot since then. Uh, you know, you got to look at a lot of things, really. you got to look at access. Um, you got to look at wind direction, um, terrain. Um, you may, may be limited to where you can put your plots based on the terrain. You know, you need a flatter area, um, up on site, not down on the bottom where it's going to flood ideally. Um, access, you know, 
you, you don't want to have to, if you got access from one side, you don't want the food typically clear on the opposite side where you've got to walk right through the heart of the property to, to be near that food. Um, there's just a lot of different things you got to take into consideration. There's no really hard and fast rules where to put that food. Um, you need to look at hunting pressure on, on the surrounding properties. So Great if point. you've got people setting the fence, you don't want to bring your put the food out, you know, right across the fence where you're you're pulling the deer out of your bedding cover right over to uh, where the guys are sitting, other hunters are sitting on the line. So there's a whole lot of factors to consider. Um, well, I think you know, to I, interrupt you just a second, this is an important point because there's people out there, and, and this is getting a little bit off on a tangent from what Tyson is asking, but it, it, it's, it needs to be discussed. This is the perfect reason right now what Tyson's asking us on why you don't pay a land consultant that's only going to look at aerials. <laughs> and we've talked about this, haven't we? You know, yeah, somebody can yeah. go in and say, oh, we'll put this plan together. But until you get somebody that knows what they're doing that can walk your property with you and take all of these factors into it, we can, we can be on this podcast and say, watch for this or consider this, but there is no way we could help you really formulate the exact location of these things until we walked it. And right. all of this stuff is, that we're talking about is, is a perfect example of why, you know, and, and this is, I, I don't have a leg in the race because I refuse to do any type of land consulting. I don't even, I, I try not to even help friends out who ask me to come tell them what to do because I don't feel that I'm that much of an expert but for someone to say well I'll pay me money and I'm going to look at your aerials and put a plan together for you it's not going to work you're just wasting your money so I know that's a little bit of a tangent but but that's this is the perfect perfect uh example of starting with a clean slate you have to include all of these different factors into your plan on the exact location of stuff Right, you know, even if Tyson would have included an aerial photo with his question, it would still be impossible for us to look at it and say, here's where you need to put your food plot. It's just, it takes boots on the ground, and, and there's just a whole lot of factors that you can't see from an aerial. And once you put um, something in, you're going to be modifying that plan. Um, I have a buddy of mine that just bought a, a piece of property and he's got a, a skid of real world stuff sitting at Don's house right now that we were going to pick up at his master class. And I've told him, I was, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll help put a plan together for you after walking the property, but you're going to have to keep adapting and keep learning. And the more you're on this property and seeing what deer do and how you can make it better every single year. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I've been managing this property for that, that I have for oh, at least 25 years, you know, for deer. And we just talked at the beginning of this podcast, all the projects that I'm doing this winter. <laughs> it's a never ending deal. Yeah. And uh, the more you sit there and, and the more, and things change over time, you know, trees mature and different things happen. But, uh, you know, the, you just sit there and you can, as you're hunting in your tree stand, you look out across your property and you can think, man, I should, I, should, I need to put me a food plot right over there and do this and do that. It, it's a never ending battle or any battle. It's a, just a never ending labor of love, really. Well, that's why we both keep notes on our phone. Yep. That when we're sitting there, we say, okay, we need to move this lone wolf tree stand to that tree over there or that way we mm -hmm. don't forget about it. Right. 
But the, or you're sitting there and you're standing, you need to, you see, you need a shooting lane in this direction that you've never thought to cut one there before. So or you, put, you can make those notes on your phone. Or put a wall or fence up so that the deer don't get behind you, you know, make those yep. notes. But, mm-hmm. you know, for Tyson, my thing is, is I would look at your property and figure out first where your access points are. Because that's one of the biggest differences that I see between my farm in Kentucky and Don's property. Don can go to the same amount of acres from different directions based on that wind, and he can hunt the property without putting pressure on it So in so many more conditions than what I can. If I don't have, I got a choice of two winds that I can hunt my property. If not, I don't hunt. And find your access points and where you can get in and out and then establish your food and your bedding to where they're a diverse food source away from the bedding to where you know that animal's going to have to be on its feet before daylight. And then uh, as the big part of it is, is how is it hunted around you? And that's going to take, that might take a year or two before you really even understand that. Right. But I would start with access every single time. We didn't really answer your question, Tyson, but uh, hopefully we give you some things to think about. You know, terrain, hunting pressure around you, access, things like that you've got to look at. So, yeah. If you, you can have the best tree stand in the world and be in the perfect pinch or the perfect inside corner, but if you can't get in and out of that thing without bumping deer or getting winded, it's, you're, <laughs> you're not going to be successful. All right. All right, we'll move on to the next question. This one comes from Phil Ostrowski from uh, Elba, New York. Uh, Phil says, Don, in large ag areas, do you find that it takes deer more time to adapt to a new food source? (laughs) The last few years, I've created small one- to two-acre-sized plots on the edges of my property. The first two years, I put in brassica blends, and the, the crop came up really well but the deer feeding activity and then was pretty low. My camera showed deer passing through the plots, but ever hardly eating the brassica. This past year was a, as an experiment, I put in soybeans and then broadcast a brassica blend over the top later. They were all over the soybeans, but once they were gone, the deer didn't seem to have much desire for the brassica crop that was left. They did eat many of the tops, but hardly any of the bulbs. I guess this is a slight improvement over the previous couple of years. Am I wasting my time with the brassica blends for fall food or do deer need more time to adapt? <laughs> well, Phil, I actually experienced the same thing on my farm years ago. The, the first year I planted turnips and, and uh, radish blend, the deer hardly touched them. And uh, the next year they ate them fairly well, but, but the third year they devoured them and I don't really have a good explanation. I've got a theory, you know, the, uh, <laughs> we've talked about how the nitrate levels that's, and Terry knows exactly where I'm going. That's why he's laughing. But, uh, we've talked about how the nitrate levels and the sugar levels change in, uh, the leaf of a plant, uh, as the weather changes, as it gets colder. Um, a lot of times early in the fall, uh, those plants are bitter, and uh, so the deer. My theory is the deer takes a bite or two out of them, and they're bitter, and, and they just don't see that as a food source. Um, 
so when you get that cold weather and, and they become sweeter, um, the deer have already written that off as something bitter. It takes them a while to, to realize that, hey, this ain't so bad after all. Um, my advice would be to, to stick with it at least a couple more years. And, you know, once those deer get used to it, they, they just wipe out those plots. I mean, I've seen deadly dozen. is, is my second favorite uh, food plot crop. Uh, after soybeans and, and those deadly dozen plots uh, if you get a good uh, fall where there's a good rainfall to, to get those plots really going you know they can be knee high or so uh, the first of October when hunting season rolls around and by the time uh, you get into January that knee high vegetation has been eaten down to the bare dirt and the bulbs of those plants the turnips and the radish and such that are sticking out of the ground the deer are pulling them out of the ground or eating them you know, what they can get that's stuck out of the ground. So, uh, you know, I would stick with it because it's a good food source for them later in the year. It gives diversity. And the more diverse your your food source is, the better it is for the deer because, you know, some plants are going to be higher in, in uh, a particular nutrient than others. And uh, it's just, you know, a well-balanced diet that uh, takes a diverse uh, uh, food sources. Yeah, Phil, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. And, um, the first thing I would tell you is I would, I would plan on going back in there with soybeans again. I wouldn't rely on any one. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say just purple top turnips or just clover. Um, we've talked about food plot diversity and the foundation to make that plan being soybeans is, is the best we both used, meaning Don and I. So I know you said that you'd switched and put soybeans and then double cropped with your brassica blend over the top. I would make sure that I still had those soybeans in there this coming year. Um, and um, this this subject came up probably the first time with me and Don. Was it at the Kentucky show maybe? And somebody, somebody had come by and said that they um, had planted our plot topper, which is a brassica blend, and the deer didn't need it. And uh, the, I asked the question, I said, well, was it in a tobacco, old tobacco field? And what I had seen years ago is if I put a brassica blend in old tobacco ground, the deer wouldn't touch it. But if I put it 40 yards off of the old tobacco field on just the old clay dirt, they annihilated it. And I couldn't figure out why it was. And I was talking to our uh, real-world seedsman, Dwayne Hopkins, about it, and he said, well, don't they put a lot of nitrogen down on tobacco? And I said, yeah, I mean, they really torch it, probably more nitrogen on tobacco than any other crop. He said, well, you might be still having a real high nitrate level in that. So I would I would venture to guess that part of Phil's problem here is if it was ag ground, he probably still has a little bit high nitrogen. I haven't, you know, he'd have to look at his soil test on that. But over time, you might be getting that down a little bit by just food plotting it instead of a farmer coming in and trying to optimize a, a row crop operation on it. Um, that might be one thing. But I, I think there is a little bit to uh, maybe the deer getting used to it. But let's face it, when it gets cold, deer are eating anything they can find, you know, sticks and, you know, whatever. So if they get hungry enough, they're going to eat it. So a lot of times people compare it, um, say, on a really mild winter where there still might be some stuff green that just stays more palatable longer period of time. But um, 
if it like what I do on my property, um, that is an old tobacco field that has, uh, historically had high nitrogen in it. I say, put two acres of soybeans in half of that field. I'll double crop with oats. The other half of the field, I'll double crop, uh, with plot topper. And then every year I'll rotate those two. So the next year that I'm in beans, I'll put the plot topper on the opposite side. And that really gives me a diverse, basically buffet for no matter what that animal is craving, he's going to come to that area. So I would stick with your beans as your foundation and keep making diverse choices from there. Good advice, Terry. So keep plugging away, Phil. Um, I bet you it ain't long before your deer are cleaning up your brassicas. Yeah, I bet that nitrogen level slowly is getting a little bit lower in that in that plot since since mm-hmm. it's not a row crop farmer but we we have a test of this this year and um um going and we did a soil sample on a property in illinois that west delks hunted and he planted how much did he say he planted like six or seven acres of deadly dozen and it got these yeah, beautiful plants and the deer would go in there but they would only eat the winter peas and the cereal grains they never touched the brassicas and uh what we ended up finding out is that's where the farmer took his uh, liquid waste from his hog hog barns and sprayed. And so we went in and um, I, I haven't seen the results yet, but we went in and, and did a soil test there. And our guess is, is that the nitrogen level was crazy high on that field. And that's why they weren't eating it. Mm-hmm. So that's my theory anyway. That- well, that and the fact that this winter was very mild. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we just didn't have the cold weather, so. Yeah, I don't know what it was up in New York, but diversity is mm-hmm. your key, Phil. Uh, the more diversity you can put there when a deer craves everything, he's going to the same spot. That's what you want. Right. All right, our last question comes from Jordan Brandenburg. Jordan is from Martinsville, Illinois. Um, he says, Don and Terry. My question this week is about wind. What if the wind changes mid-hunt? Is it best to leave your stand and get back out or just sit it out? I have a stand I can only hunt with a north wind. If it shifts just a little, my scent's blowing right in their nose. Thanks, guys. (laughs) Well, Jordan, you got to (laughs) leave. I hate to tell you this, buddy, but uh, when the wind shifts, um, you got to leave. There's nothing worse than than a swirling wind so on stands that are real touchy like the one you described um i make sure the wind is steady but i can't tell you how many times over the years i've had to leave a stand earlier than i wanted to because the wind shifted uh there's been times where i've got to a stand to just climb up and uh get my gear ready and i notice that the wind is not what i thought it was and instantly climb down and get out and there's nothing more frustrating than to sl- slip into a stand um, and then have to get right back out and not have time to hunt that evening or afternoon because uh, you've wasted that time going into the stand where the wind was wrong. But, you know, I don't take a chance because when you burn out a stand like that, you, you not, didn't just ruin your chances for that day. You ruined it for the fu- a future hunt when, right. when conditions are perfect. 
So uh, get out and come back when the conditions are right. This was probably the hardest lesson I had to learn, especially hunting out of state as much as I do, because, you know, you, you have limited time and, you know, I can't believe I'm only up here for three days and I have to get down out of a stand. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's not a matter of, okay, well, I just didn't see anything this hunt. I might not see nothing there the rest of the year if, if I make the wrong decision. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, as, as painful as it is, um, I would really, I would really question if you have a, a stand um, that is that borderline. Is there something you can do, or another tree close to that area that would protect you a little bit more if the wind flared just a little bit? I mean, um, you know that that's. That's the other thing is, is can I optimize? You've talked about before, how can I make a good stand a great stand? And, and mm-hmm. that would be one of the, one of the discussion points in that, you know, we don't have a lot of information to go by, but I would definitely get down. And even if I was out of state, I would get down. Um, but I would also look for a different way to hunt that spot or where those deer were coming through. Uh, that wasn't quite as finicky, so it wouldn't cause as much grief. And we've talked a lot about passion versus discipline. Disciplined deer hunters are the ones that consistently kill big bucks. It takes a lot of discipline to go into a stand, especially, you know, you get up early, you know, 4 o'clock in the morning and you drive to your hunting area and then you walk a half a mile in the dark to get to your tree. You climb up there, and about the time it's just getting shooting light, you re- you realize the wind's wrong. It takes a lot of discipline at that point to climb down and get out of there. You went to all that trouble. You got up early. You made the drive to your hunt there. You walked across the there, walked to your stand in the dark, and, and now everything's wrong. You got to climb in, immediately. Climb down, and the hunt's over. The, that's the kind of discipline that it takes to consistently kill big ones. Yeah. So. Uh, you know, yeah, just, you're you're not you're not burning that hunt if you stay in that stand. You're burning the shot at any deer walking by there in daylight. I mean, that's as mm-hmm. simple as it, that deer is going to pattern you before you pattern it. Right. So these 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 fences or walls that we built are exactly for this situation that that Jordan's talking about. You know, you put right. that fence in there just so that situation didn't happen. I put the wall of trees in just so that wouldn't happen. So, um, you know, I would try to try to still tweak that property a little bit and find a different place to a different tree or maybe a different different uh, way to keep those deer from getting on downwind side of you. But I've been there, and it's really yeah. really it's really tough when you're on a three-day hunt out of state paying a hotel room and meals and you get to a spot and have to get back down it's really really mm-hmm. tough i had a situation uh i talked about it earlier in this podcast that i've moved a couple of stands just a short distance from where they had been located there was a a place on my farm where i've had a stand in this big oak tree for over 20 years <laughs> And the tree I really needed to be in was only about, oh, I'm going to guess, 12 to 15 yards from this tree. Um, but when I put this, this stand in this, this tree 20-some years ago, the other tree just wasn't quite big enough to hide me. It was an oak as well, but it was a young oak, and 
it just wasn't quite big enough. Well, over the last 20 some years, it's gotten bigger and, and now it's big enough that I felt I could stay hid in that tree. So I, you know, I moved my stand only 12 to 15 yards, but it allows me to hunt the wind just a little better than the other tree did. Right. And you know, it, it's a, it's a lot of work to move it. Then I actually had a, a it was on my uh, social media, my Instagram and, uh, and Facebook, the picture of this TV antenna or TV tower leaning up in this big oak. Well, that's, that's the one I moved. I had to take that TV antenna down from the one big oak and, and move it, you know, 15 yards and, and put it up on in the other big oak as well as take the stands down and reposition them and cut new shooting lanes and all this and that. But, uh, that extra effort is going to pay off because I'm going to be able to play the wind so much better. So, and I know there's going to be guys out there that say, well, uh, my, my tree stand, I got a shot at, at winding them in any direction, no matter what the deer can come. Well, that just tells me you're in the wrong spot. Absolutely. You know, don't, don't put yourself in a spot where, you know, you can get winded from any direction. That's, um, mm-hmm. that's a good way to, to end a, end an opportunity really quick. But Jordan, we've both been there, buddy. It's, it's tough, but you got to be disciplined at it too. Yep. A wind sock is a good investment, by the way. I, I I saw Don using his outside of his house where he can goes out and he looks at that thing, whether it's fluttering or down. Uh, we can use weather apps as much as we want, but those wind socks are pretty cool um, when you can really see exactly where that wind's coming from before you walk out on the farm, especially if you're you're hunting the property that you live on. Right. Wind is everything. All right. Well, that's the last question for for this episode, Terry. Okay. Got so, any closing thoughts? Well, I just got a busy couple weeks coming up here. Um, yeah, I think most of our listeners know that I coach high school fast pitch softball. So with that season not happening, I got a lot of time on my hands. So this might be the earliest I've ever had my soybeans in. Uh, you and I were talking about that earlier today, that there's actually farmers planning right now. I find that a little bit hard to believe because I think there's still a potential chance for frost. But I could see me having my bean field uh, planted here in the next couple of weeks very easily. And I normally don't get to it until the beginning of June. So this might be the earliest I have. Um, I did I did till up some extra ground that I had a clover field or patch that... I didn't do a real good job keeping maintenance that I'm going to start over. So, obviously, I got that that going right now. But the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be really busy in the food plots. I'm done in the timber. I was kind of working my way out. Um, you know, the earlier it was, I was back in the timber. And uh, we'll be focusing on food plots here the rest of the way out. And luckily, I live in a state that allows for supplemental feeding and minerals. So, we had to take all of our feeders out because of turkey season, but as soon as turkey season's over, I'll get back on my feed regiment and uh, putting a lot of maximizer mineral out. Well, I'm going to be doing uh, a lot of the same except for the supplemental feeding end of things. I'm pretty much done with the timber work. I put my chainsaw away uh, Sunday. Uh, Sunday afternoon, I went out and uh, finished up uh, my bedding enhancement 
on the property. Uh, I'll probably have to break it out for a couple of tree stands. Uh, I'm, I got two more to move that I'm going to have to cut some shooting lanes, but um, should have all my plots in weather permitting by the first of May. And right. I don't know that I've ever had my plots in by the first of May. Right. It's... Usually uh, Memorial weekend, I'm, you know, trying to get them in by then. Right. So uh, things are a little bit ahead of schedule this year. So. Yeah, if the weather holds out, then we should be in really good shape. So, um, I yeah. know I know on social media I see a lot of people being able to work ground. And last year we were still underwater this time of year. Yeah, I mean there was a lot of plots that did, that couldn't be planted in June. Right. And uh, you know we're we're two months ahead. Um, one thing I noticed, I I just actually wrote a blog about this a week or so ago and posted it on uh, Facebook on my Facebook page, but. Uh, uh, with the changes they've made to the algorithms on Facebook, it, I don't think too many people are seeing it. But uh, uh, a couple of things I've noticed: one is that the the bucks seem to be. I mean, I just pulled my last trail cameras here in the last couple of weeks, and the bucks have all shed. But they seem to be in the best body condition for this time of year that I can ever remember. Wow! Uh, usually, you know, this time of the year they've shed their racks. Uh, they're starting to shed that winter coat and they're looking real scroungy and thin and getting ganned up and, and run down. But that this year they just seem to be in much better body condition than they've ever been coming out of that mild winter. Right. And then you throw in the fact that we're having this early spring, the farmers at my place around me have planted probably started 10 days ago or so. Um, we're planting the first crops so the, the crops are probably going to be up here, you know, within a week and those deer are going to get to start eating those uh, highly nutritious plants a lot earlier than they typically do. So the combination of coming out of the winter in better shape than I can ever remember along with this early spring and getting on those food sources, those quality food sources earlier, this is really setting up to be a good year for antler growth. Um, the one thing that does concern me is that we get into a drought pattern Right. Uh, you know, we've had two really wet years, and usually in, with weather, one extreme follows another. So I'm just hoping we're not getting into a dry period now where we have a drought this summer. But uh, the bucks are off to a really good start, I feel, for 2020. Very promising. We'll see how it finishes out, though. All right. Well, we'll be back with episode uh, 20 um in a, a week or so and maybe catch up on if we got any plants any fields planted so you want to take us out and uh thank our sponsors for us absolutely we want to thank uh, biofarm.com as our title sponsor 360 hunting blinds quiet cat vortex optics lone wolf tree stands matthews archery and real world wildlife products see you guys next time yeah, on behalf of Don Higgins, this is Terry Peer. Make sure you follow us on our social media pages. And with whatever's going on on Facebook, make sure you're watching the Higgins Outdoors website so that you can uh, keep track of these blogs. But we'll see you in a couple weeks with Episode 20. Bye.